Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manu Veff and this week ah, we've got some interesting topics for you. We're going to have a little brief update about the Russian Cup. Then we're going to head over to the Russian Premier League. Going to talk about some of the big results. The Moscow Derby, Zenit against Loco. Lots of things happening this week in the Russian Premier League. And we're going to chat it all about it all and what it all means and then yeah going to take a brick of a look at the russian table because eight games in we will probably have a little bit of an idea of where different clubs are going to end up and then finally um some europa league champions league previews um, one of our regular guests andrew flint he's actually heading to some of the games next week so we're going to chat about that and yeah andrew i'm going to do first andrew flint man from Siberia, how are you doing? Hello, hello guys. Yeah, not bad, not bad, thanks. Um, not quite as, as full in the stomach as you will be, Manu, after your um, press box antics last night, but um, I'm, I'm managing, I'm coping, and uh, my day's brightened by getting my accreditation and travel sorted, like you mentioned, for Europa League and Champions League. Just some small village side from Madrid turning up in Moscow. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You're seeing Getafe. Sorry, I had to say that. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit it was uh, very extravagant. I was at the Bayern game yesterday and um, they treat their journalists rather well. I don't want to get into it too much because um, good, don't, good, want, good. don't want to make you more jealous than I already did by sending <laughs> you all the pictures. But yes, um, it was it was a good day. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and <laughs> yeah, but we have to stick to Russian football. And to help us stick to Russian football is our very own Russian Tim, all the way <laughs> in Vancouver. Tim, um, yeah, we once again separated. I'm in Munich. You on the West Coast. How are you doing? Well, it's good. As the weather is um, actually very very nice. It's like uh, uh, in in Russian we call this period with a fairly weird saying. It's called. Um, grandmother's summer i think that's that's the proper way to translate it but it's like the late summer in 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 huh. september and this is what's happening right now in vancouver so yeah. it's good we call it the same thing in german really yeah altweiber summer which Holy. means old woman's summer exactly oh wow maybe we stole it from you probably like oh, many things maybe we... <laughs> yeah <laughs> or oh, the other way around um... <laughs> Yeah, it is actually a really fitting term in a lot of ways. Um, so it is beautiful outside. I'm in Munich. I'm enjoying the, you know, the Oktoberfest uh, kickstarted. Oh. Yeah, and it's, it's a very special time in terms of football. So we have a lot of things to chat about. But of course, it's also a great time in, in Russian football at the moment, right? And um, Andrew, a competition that we really enjoy. And a lot of Russian clubs don't enjoy that much, um, especially the big sides. The Russian Cup, um, going to do to you first. Uh, a bunch of games going on today. I know your side, Tuman, is playing that that round uh, in October, right? October 10th against CSKA Moscow. But um, 
um, some of the results, and there was one game in particular that we kept an eye on, was the Sachalin game against Arsenal Tula. And that game is in the books. Um, Sachalin lost that game 2-1. Uh, the reason why we chatted so much about this game is because Sachalin is very far east. In fact, the southern tip of Sachalin is just off the coast of Japan. Um, how did they manage in this game and how did they kind of get around the, the travel journey a little bit, Andrew? Well, actually, the game itself didn't take place in Sakhalin. It took place in Tomsk. But even still, that's a, that's a pretty hefty journey for um, Arsenal Tula. But, you know, last year, at this stage, this round, so for anybody who doesn't follow Russian football closely, the Russian Cup is structured. So the last 32 always has all 16 top flight teams playing away from home. And that's why they hate it, because it's usually a, a, an unnecessary distraction for them. And last year, so many of the Premier League sides fell at this hurdle already. But so far, Arsenal Tula, they won 2-1, which is a brilliant result for them because now they've got the worst part of the Russian Cup out of the way. They might be at home in the next leg, so we'll have to see what the draw is. Um, so, yeah, luckily for them, like I say, luckily for them, they didn't have to go quite as far as, as the, the northern tip of Japan. But... Um, but another team did have to go almost as far. Ahmed Grozny had to go to Khabarovsk. And they had a nightmare because, I mean, they did win in the end on penalties. But they had to go through extra time on the, well, practically the border with North Korea almost. So they had a, they had a long journey. But they did, they did come through unscathed. So, yeah, plenty of almost drama so far. Uh, and a lot of fixtures still to go today and a couple tomorrow as well. But the big one, of course, as we all know, guys, is, you know, that's why they delayed it to the 10th of October. Because <laughs> there's so much attention. And the CSK Moscow fans, they're just, they're just in a frenzy of excitement to get to Chimen. Um, so that's the one we're really focused on. Absolutely. And of course, the game in Kimki against Ruben Kazan. <laughs> You know what? I tell you what. I would rather have to go to Sakhalin than have to go to Kimki. <laughs> wasteland outside Moscow. There, terrible. Sakhalin. No <laughs> at least they got a shopping mall in Kimki. Just, uh, just, <laughs> just saying that. Um, but uh, Tim, of course, this game is going to take place right around the time that this podcast is coming out. Um, but I want to briefly chat about it, anyways, because it's Peter Moscow against Dynamo Moscow. That game taking place um i guess 8:15 moscow time 7:15 if you're in in the central european time zone um and 6:15 if you're in the uk so if you catch the podcast in time and you want to watch this tune in if not it's okay because it's more about torpedo rather than um the game itself torpedo is a club that's very famous abroad but it's also a bit of a controversial club in a lot of ways isn't it tim yeah, it is, it is a controversial club because it has a brilliant history, but recent events doesn't really, um, have any connection to the brilliant history which club has. They have a very controversial fans to my liking. Those are the least, my least favorite, uh, fans, uh, in Russian football there. Uh, they have some issues of, of some, you know, racial and Nazi, uh, things. There was a legend, uh, very interesting, uh, big story this summer when they uh, when the club wanted to sign a black player and the torpedo fans made them not to sign him which was pretty disgusting and they the the things they wrote on the internet were just very distasteful so this is kind of what the um, their fans um, represent uh, obviously there's like historical fans who still supported the old club but uh, this the new gang of fans is really uh, famous for their very um, you know, radical positions, which is not not the brilliant thing. But at the same time, the club is the, you know, the, that's a big history of Soviet football. Uh, right now, they are in the third tier of Russian football, which is uh, PFL. Uh, they are leading um, their group. Um, and um, they're playing against Dynamo, where they have quite, um, you know, the fans have, um, aggressive relationship and even a few years ago again in the cup game they had some issues uh, when the game was I think stopped and um, this is happening again so it's interesting to see obviously you know if you take from just the class of the players the number of players should have enough to yeah. just be be better but at the same time you know when you when you're dealing with the cup and Dynamo has a, a few different other things to uh, to to worry about 
So uh, it's yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be already feisty on 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 the stadium. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I'm always I'm always sad when I when I think about torpedo in a lot of ways because the fan base is very controversial. Um, Thayer just recently issued another complaint about the club with the fans showing um you know right wing paraphernalia um and the club supporting it and it's it's just not it's just not good but when i mean when you look at this history of the club it used to be a workers club right the the car manufacturer exactly. a workers real workers club in the heart of moscow the um for any fan football fan ever going to moscow visiting the stadium andrew we the two of us we we've done it now um a couple times together We'd like to go there because of all the graffiti around the Strelsov Arena. It's a must visit. It's one of the most, it's like, it's, it's like a shrine to football. And the yeah. club, the club has sort of, yeah, it's kind of sad what it has turned into. I mean, mm -hmm. not just on the field, but, um, the fact Mainly that. Mainly off the field. Yeah, off yeah. the field. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it just stands in such kind of weird contrast because I know, um, Andrew, when we talk to, when we talk to foreigners, they're all, love torpedo for what it used to be but if you then tell them what they are representing now it's kind of a shock for most people isn't it yeah it's you're absolutely right it is it is a sort of a, a mild tragedy of sorts almost because you know when when we went to when we went to pay pilgrimage almost and it feels like that actually yeah it feels like a pilgrimage to russian football the, the history of streltsov and the history of the players on the graffiti down the walls i i felt that was in a weird way, a cathartic way to learn about the club because I, I don't know them intimately, but that felt, made me feel a bit closer. And when we were there, they were filming, um, a movie about Edward Streltsov's life. And you know, the entire stadium felt built for this man, but not just for him. The, the way it's cut into the hillside, it's just, it's a really unique kind of place. Um, and the whole, the whole row with the, well, non-signing of a certain player, should we say, it's left a it's left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, but look, I mean, it, not that anybody should ever airbrush those issues out of it, and we never do. We do always call the mm. problem out that we see in Russian football. Um, the fixture itself is probably about as as historic a fixture as you could get at this stage of the cup. Dynamo, Torpedo. Yeah. It's it, let's let's at least hope that on the pitch the players recognise this, and I think they will because you know that's the beauty of the. The, the Premier League teams being drawn away from home, you know, they've got a bit more expectation on them, they've got a bit more to live up to. I think that could be the tie of the round. What well, sorry, 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 sorry. The second tie of the round, of course. Um but for this midweek at least, it'll be the best cup game to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you if you had the chance to catch it and um you watched it, um that's definitely as Andrew says, very historic tie. But boys I want to move this conversation on to the what happened on the weekend, the Russian Premier League, and I'm just going to start by going through um, a round of results before we, of course, talk about the two biggest games. And um, when you look at the round of results, Krasnoyarsk lost to Ural, uh, 1-2. Dinamo Moscow, Anshi Machachkala, 0-1. Machachkala winning a game, I think that's probably the biggest news of the entire podcast, isn't it? <laughs> um, Arsenal Tula against Ruben Kazan. 2-2, Rostov Ufa, 0-0. We'll get to chat a bit about Rostov today as well. Ahmad Krosny, Orenburg, 1-1. Um, Orenburg still hanging in there. Um, yeah. so that's, that's actually, you know, Orenburg, and we get to chat about the biggest surprises. They, they might be one of them. Um, to need block Moscow, we'll, we'll talk about this one definitely in great detail. Uh, 5-3 for Sunit. Then the, uh, big Moscow derby. Um, or main Moscow derby, depending on how you translate. Uh, CSKA Moscow against Spartak 1-1. Um, definitely going to chat about this, Tim. Krylia Sovet of Samara against Krasnodar 0-3. And we'll get to chat a little bit about Krasnodar um, as well, because they have been a pick of a surprise team um, too. So yeah, lots of things to chat about. Um, yeah. Let's get into this. Um, I want to start with the big Moscow derby. Um, Tim, why is it the big Moscow derby? 
I mean, there's several derbies in Moscow. We just chatted about Dynamo against Torpedo, which is very historic. Then there is the old Moscow derby between Spartak and uh, Spartak and Dynamo as well. Then, of course, you have the locomotive derbies uh, between Spartak and CSKA, um, sometimes against Torpedo. But why is it this one? Well, to be like obviously right now for Spartak fans and for CSKA fans, that's the biggest uh, derby in 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 the season. It's bigger than the game against Zenit. It's 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 Moscow derby. Uh, but to be quite honest, that derby became the biggest one only probably in the past I would say twenty years or so. Uh, because when the just the Russian league started, that Ceska was nowhere close, and Spartak had total domination, and that wasn't really uh, even a, a considered a, a big derby. It was a derby, but it wasn't the biggest one. Historically, the game against Dynamo Moscow between Spartak is the biggest derby. But again, in the past twenty years, Ceska became really, really powerful club, and uh, they are they won the the club. Which most the most title in the recent Russian history uh, after the Soviet Union broke up? Tsiska won the the, the biggest number of titles, uh, including you know cups and uh, European cups. Um, so um, they were very very successful, and uh, there was a period of time when Spartak couldn't win over uh, over Tsiska for seven years seven full seasons, uh, and it was really it was really like a curse, and uh, it was very. Yeah, it wasn't a very pleasant time to be a Spartak fan. It was a bitter long time to be a Tsiska fan. And kind of all those um, events that Tsiska have been doing really, really well after uh, Evgeny Giner purchased the club and winning the league and becoming uh, a very strong team in uh, the Russian football, that obviously increased the the interest to this derby. So right now, this is the biggest derby for uh, Spartak and Tsiska fans. And um, the games are usually become uh, very, very intense. Uh, but this game particularly wasn't a great game of football. The tension was there, but in terms of football, it wasn't really, uh, if, especially for a neutral. For me as a fan, like, of course, I was passionate about every single throw in, but as a neutral, it was, it was an okay game. Yeah. I, th it's, it's interesting, Tim, that this is the, the, the big Moscow derby for, because when I started following Russian football, I had to actually be told that this is the, Big Moscow um, derby because I started following football in around 2003, 2004, and um, back then it was all local. When you yeah, look, yeah. looked at the Moscow clubs, right? And CSKA, um, they were a club that, um, of course, won the last Soviet title, right? Um, uh -huh, and uh -huh, then uh -huh. and, and reached the reached the Champions League uh, by beating Barcelona. Um, I have actually an article up on that um, on footballgrad.com called the Soldiers Tango. Um, and so they were, they were a historic side, but it wasn't really till 2005, 2006 that they became a big club again, right? Under when Guinness took, took over and, um, really made them a powerhouse. So f when, when I remember reading an article on our German homepage back in 2000 and it must have been 2007, um, and they advertised CSKA against Spartak. And I think there was a German Russian writer who wrote the article. Really long, really nice historical article about this game in particular. And the way he described it, it got me really, really uh, hooked into it. And I was saying, oh, I have to, I have to find a stream for this game. And back then it was a lot harder to find streams. Yeah. For the game. yeah. Um, and I ended up finding a stream. I can't remember how I did it, but I ended up finding one and it was one of the best games um, I've watched that year. Hmm. Um, I think it ended 3-3. It was, it was a spectacular game. And that, you really realized that, yes, at the time, because Bartek were, were a little bit struggling too at the time, right? Um, mm -hmm. How big of a game it was and how much bigger those two clubs were than, than Lokomotiv. It's something that really I re only realized because I, when you're a kid, you only look at the scores and you look at titles won and you must be like, okay, well, Locomotive are winning these titles, so they must be a big club. And then, of course, when you learn the history and all that, you realize that, you no, know, really, CSKA and Spartak, do, these are massive clubs uh, in the context of, of Russia. And Spartak, of course, are the biggest club by fan following. So it, that's really interesting that, um, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize that there was this period where, where this was only a big derby because of his history. Of course, now both clubs are relatively doing well again, and CSKA is the, the club with the most titles in the last 10 years, and Spartak have won a title very recently. 
but yeah, um, what I, I do also find interesting, Tim, and I was, I was going to stay with you for a moment here, because both teams are in a little bit of a flux right now, right? Well, it's, yeah, both teams are in an interesting situation. Ziska going through a massive rebuild as, you know, selling, like, you know, they lost probably half of their team and they bought a half of the new team of very, very young players. And Gancherenko is building a pretty much a new club. Um, they have only a couple, actually, only three, four players who played in the side who were part of the last season. It was Mario Fernandez, uh, Zagoyev, Nabakin, and Akinfeev. So only four players in the starting lineup who really, you know, have some kind of history with the club. The rest of were youngsters or um, uh, brand new players. So, so, so this guy is going for re rebuild and um, Spartak is going for our own problems. We obviously, what we talked about, Yeshinka and Glushakov are still out of the team. They have played actually the, the youth derby and mm. Glushakov was captain and uh, Yeshinka played the full game. So they both uh, helped uh, youth Spartak to win, uh, but they're still not training with the main team. Uh, we lost promise. So obviously there's quite a few things happening and uh, the press is really against Massimo Carrera. So um, the, the clubs were in interesting situations and if we would have probably talked about it this game about a month ago, Spartak would have been the favorites, but um, actually I think looking a, a few days before the Darby Ceska was the favorite. So, Andrew, with all of this come going on, was 1-1 just simply the predicted result? I mean, it seems to be the result when teams are even also when the it seems to be a common result also when you know the football isn't at the center of things well yeah i i actually did think um sorry tim i did actually predict before the game that tesco would win this game um mm. and it was an individual moment of brilliance from nikola vlasic who i would actually like to highlight i think he's been absolutely fantastic for for tesco this season brilliant loan signing um and, you know, I think a tale of the game was told by his celebration afterwards because, you know, here's a guy who's coming. He's, he's a young player. He's, he's using it as a, a spell to get him back on his feet because he, he, he'd moved to Everton um, in England and he's, he wasn't getting game time. Um, he's using it as a springboard and everybody understands that it's fine. So he's not expected to have a deep emotional connection to the club. But when he scored, he understood the importance of the derby itself. Going back to how important it is, you know, he just went absolutely berserk celebrating it, and it was a really good curling finish from edge yeah, of the box. It was. it was a sort of game. It was a sort of game that needed that, though, wasn't it? You know, it needed a moment of brilliance. Otherwise, the intensity and energy just was going to take over. I actually enjoyed the game. Like Tim says, it wasn't the greatest quality, but there were plenty. There was plenty of commitment. There was a good pace in the game, and enough quality uh, in patches. To, to give you the sense that there still could be something uh, to change the result. But as a neutral, I thought it was a fair a fair result in the end. I thought Sparta were very well organised, um, better, um, more solid than I thought they would be. So credit to both sides, really. Yeah, Vlasic, I'm glad you're pointing him out, Andrew, because um, I remember writing the the article on him for footballgrad.com and he was signed by Everton from Heidog Split. Um, after Everton played Heidog Split, I believed, right? And um, I thought that there's a really good talent. And a lot of players kind of, especially the um, very gifted tactic, technical players, um, you know, we have David Klaassen right now at Werder Bremen, who's really coming to, into his own again, also from Everton, seemed to have really struggled at Everton last year. And it, it's really nice seeing Flasic, I believe he's still only 20 years old, right? Um, playing now under a coach who really seems to value that kind of footballer, right? And he's filling filling the shoes of um, Golovin, of course, at the moment, and he's doing a he's doing a really good job at it. It's really, I mean, I, I think it's really kind of sad that he's probably going not going to be affordable for CSKA after this season because if he keeps playing like that, uh, it's either Everton are going to keep him or they're going to sell him on, right? And mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's going to be much of a chance for CSGA to hang on to him after that because they, I don't think they have the money. So it was really nice seeing that. Um, Tim, anything positive that you want to take away from this result? 
Uh, well, I'll say what Massimo Carrera said. He said that he was happy with the way team fought. Uh, he was happy that uh, that the players gave theirs all. Uh, and I agree with that. But uh, to be quite honest, yeah, they, we didn't play brilliantly. And yeah, as much as it pains me to say, I think this guy deserved a little bit more. We got lucky because we had a couple of chances, but uh, we scored the first goal with just a brilliant Fernando free kick. But that was literally the only chance we had in the first 45 minutes. For the first 45 minutes, this guy was way better than us. They had chances, they had the possession, they had advantage, and um, Spartak le- leading one nothing after the first 45 minutes. That was really not a fair um, a vision of what happened in the first 45 minutes. Uh, in the second time, the Spartak got a little bit better, and pretty much the game was fairly equal. Maybe Tesca had a little bit more possession, but uh, we also had our chances. But uh, the referee kind of um, made a couple of weird decisions in the end because uh, Spartak has the brilliant uh, Fernando who can score free kicks. And there were uh, two very, very big moments where the referee didn't give the free kick. And in my opinion, he could have right in front of the goal where Fernando could have scored it easily. And there was also one moment which was kind of a debatable penalty. Again, it's hard to really say uh, what was, but, um, but, like I said, that was the only chances which Spartak had. So we, Spartak fought, but at the same time, in terms of just the game, we still have this uh, problems in, in terms of actually building a, an attacking game. And Tezka showed brilliance. They were, they were very, um, they were very creative. Vlasic was just really instrumental into the game. Zagoyev was, uh, played well. Um, really, everyone played. Like, Revelation was Nababkin, who is considered one of the least technical players uh, of the side. But he really, he he created the cross uh, for which led to Vlasic's goal. He was fighting on, on his on his side. And um, really, he played a brilliant game. So, um, it you know, probably 1-1 is a bit of is, is a fair result uh, and I think uh, there's not too many things which Spartak can take uh, away as positives but uh, you know we're still we're still in the in the in the top positions uh, even not playing the brilliant game but one thing the the one thing I really dislike right now which is happening in Russian press everyone for some reason is against Massimo Carrera, Carrera. I don't really see the reason for that uh, because uh, we had a very tough uh, start to the season uh, we already played against CSKA, Zenit, Lokomotiv, Krasnodar, uh, Dynamo Moscow. Uh, so we played against every uh, big team and we're still kind of hanging in, in, in round in this Champions League positions. Uh, given how brilliant Zenit is this season, that's a very successful uh, situation. Spartak is not playing the brilliant football, but first of all, we're playing some, against some tough teams. We also played Orenburg, which, you know, doing very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the results are there. So, but there's a massive, massive wave of like media attackers on Massimo Carrera. There's so many articles that Massimo Carrera should be fired, and um, something is happening. I think it has it's somehow related to the Glushakov's deal and everything. It's 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 something is happening in the club and around mostly around the club because really the press is so against like i'm so tired of seeing uh negative articles about the coach and i don't really see the reason for that there's nothing really leading that you know massimo carrera should be fired and um it's it's yeah it's weird yeah it is a bit of an odd one um i i've noticed that too and i think it's funny even when he did win the title there seemed to be already negative press about him tim um, mm-hmm. i remember reading I remember reading an article by that the kicker have a, a Russian correspondent. Um, I think his name is Georgi Sanatsi or something like that. And he wrote a negative article even when Carrera won the title on him. Um, it's just, it just seems to be an odd relationship maybe between him and the press, uh, the Moscow based press. And I mean, that's where all the press are, right? And you have to, mm-hmm. re- you have to remember that most of the journalists that I've met from Sport Express and Sovietsky Sport and all those big papers, most of them are Spartak fans. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 really strange because I think Massimo Carrera, all his decisions have been fair. Mm. He made some mistakes, but he's very, very fair and in terms of just like footballing decisions. Like Glushakov, Yeshenka, story, they were not great in the beginning of season. Um, pr- probably there's something happening between them and Carrera, but the decision to send them to the youth team is a fair decision because they haven't been brilliant. 
And, um, yeah, there's some, there's, uh, he lost, uh, he lost promise. He lost Shigo, who was the best player at the beginning of the season. And obviously there's some, uh, some playing issues, but everything he does is very, very fair. He doesn't play any favorites. He, um, you know, for example, Sofian Hani, who criticized him, uh, publicly on Twitter, um, he, you know, he, he got his chance and then the same goes to Pedro Rocha. He gives their chances to the players. I, I really don't understand what's happening, but I, 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 I think it has nothing to do with football. It's probably something outside of football. And, uh, there's, a, as usually, there's a few clans who are trying to get some, some power in, in the club. Um, but yeah. That's probably enough about Spartak. Yeah, it is. Um, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to go to the next question and I want to get it to the next topic with this next question. Who, in your opinion, is the big winner of the Moscow Derby? Is it Spartak, CSKA or Zenit? Uh, well, actually, I suppose you put it in a three-way question like that. They'd have to say Zenit, really. Um, I don't... I think actually both sides on a performance level coped very well with their sort of relative struggles. CSK have got a, a lot of injuries. I know Spartak have some too. Obviously, Zhigo, like you mentioned him. Um, but the off-field problems for Spartak as well. Both sides still committed themselves well. But Zanit, they're six points clear. I yeah. mean, I know I know that doesn't sound like much, but when it's only eight games gone, it does, I mean, that, you know, it sounds, again, still doesn't sound like much. But that's, we're getting close to a third way through yeah. the season already. And they've already got, I don't see Krasadar as having the staying power long term over the whole season as Spartak and TSK. I, I think TSK, uh, TSK and Spartak still will be second and third. Mm. Uh, and because, you know, their gap below them is very tight, the rest of the table. But that was an easy to win us, um, for me. And, um, it's, it's quite terrifying because I still don't think they've, completely unleashed their full attacking potential. Now that Shatov and Kokorin are back, uh, they're only going to get stronger. You say that, though. <laughs> You'd watch, anyone who's watched a game against Lokomotiv would be saying, like, wait, what is he on? <laughs> because they won that game 5-3. Um, caveat, though, is that fifth goal went in in the very last minute, the decisive goal, right? Um, Andrew, this, this was a game that for some part of the game was quite open. Yeah, it was a very open game. Um, and this is, I mean, in one sense, you'd say, well, doesn't that mean, mm-hmm. doesn't that undermine my point? And in a, I can understand why people would think that. But actually, yeah. I think the opposite, because the fact that it was an open game and then it still didn't crumble, because you know, you might laugh, but if you're at home in front of 50, 55,000 fans who expect three or four or five goals every single game, and you are the favourites at that point. Um, and then you get an opposition like Lokomotiv, who on their day, they can be very hard to beat. They can be very organised. And they start creeping back into the game. That's a real test of nerves. And I think Zanit passed that test reasonably well. Um, and yeah, I mean, they are, it was open. But, you know, they conceded three. They've only conceded two goals in the rest of the league season put together. So... Their defence, while it's not uh, it's not ideal, I still think they, if they really have intentions of making progress in Europe, they need to improve their defence long term. But um, they they still cope with a, a bit of a comeback, and I think that's 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 a bit of currency. It shouldn't be underplayed. And Krakowin back as well. I'm not sure how the selection is now going to going to go for Semak because you you know you'd imagine on paper Krakowin. Um, Juba and Andriusi probably would be the first choice three, but Alex Shatov has come back in. He scored a great goal. Um, good problems for Semak now, but those are the problems you want, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned it. They, they, it's six point clear of Krasnodar. We'll talk about Krasnodar in a moment, but I mean, you also have to mention that they are nine points clear of CSKA and seven points clear of Spartak, right? If you If you're putting those two into the um, biggest title challenges. Now, Tim, um, this is another defeat for Loco. That's my first question. Uh, how many more defeats can they take? And then, uh, of course, looking at Zenit, um, they were here before last year and they still crumbled, but for some odd reason, it does feel a bit different, doesn't it? Well, it uh, feels to me different because of the, um, uh, the coach. 
um, because Zenit, like I said, they they have one of the strongest, if not the strongest, squad in the Russian Premier League. But at the same time, when uh, when you get um, a, a very ambitious coach with a lots of ambitious players in the in the in the lineup in this sorry in the in the dressing group, there's a potential for con- uh, for conflict, and this is exactly why Luchesco and Mancini didn't succeed because they were very ambitious and they had the, their own opinion, and they really you know didn't really listen to the ambitious players they had in the squad. That's why Shatov and Zuba went on loan uh, mm-hmm. from from Mancini. The, the, that was the open conflict. In the dressing room, uh, Zimak is a completely different uh, pl- uh, story. Zimak is a very, very intelligent man. He is a very good communicator. He is one of the few players who is respected by every fans. Uh, probably, you know, Sergei Zimak and Andrei Tikhonov. Those are the players who just, regardless of who do you support, everyone respects them. And um, he is good communicator. He is. He knows how to speak to obviously to Russian players. Russian players. Uh, respect him a lot, so I don't see really the potential for the conflict. They, my only concern was maybe a little bit of a conflict with a bunch of Argentinian players, but uh, looks like he he found a way to communicate to them. They're they're playing, and they're playing well. So really, that's that's why, like you said, like um, the um, the issue was not on the field uh, with Mancini and Lochesky. That was in dressing room. And it looks like the Simak is doing very, very well in the dressing room. And as of right now, there's really no potential of them uh, slipping uh, slipping on because because there's um, everything is going well and I think footballing on the football field they can do they can they can win they they are doing very well and it looks like in the dressing room is going well as well so that's why it feels different going to Lokomotiv this is a bit of a different story um, I'm kind of worried for the you know for the national team um, for the Nations League break coming up because this is as we know this is a good time where um, clubs change their coaches so yeah. you have a couple of weeks for a new coach to come in and I'm actually waiting for the period to see what will happen to Yurin Sermin and Lokomotiv like we said uh, obviously Yurin Sermin won them the league last uh, but still there's the conflict between uh, between him and the management and looks like for the management it's a perfect opportunity to, to make this um, change because things are not going well in 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 the league and uh, the first game in Champions League, so uh, they have kind of the reason to now to fire Yuri Semin. Last year they didn't because Lokomotiv was playing brilliantly. They won the league. There was nothing really to to talk to Yuri Semin about. Now they have a an issue, a reason. The results are not there. The the game is not there. Yuri Semin was bought quite a few expensive and uh, well players. Obviously, you know, Fedor Smolov, Hervides. So those are the players who arrived and uh, didn't, by the results, didn't approve the team. So you you start looking at the coach. So um, it's an interesting situation with, with Yuri Sermon because of that conflict. And like I said, I'm worried for him and I'm waiting for this um, uh, nation, nation's team break. Yeah, uh, it was an interesting interview. Um, I think I've already mentioned this last week with Eric Stoffelshausen in uh, Transfermarkt Day very long interview and he didn't talk very much about Simin um, in this interview he talked mostly about all the players that they were managed to sign and um, mm-hmm. for example they said well with Fedor Smolov we signed the most ambitious striker that was available on the Russian market and he's right I mean going by the players available on the Russian market that were all the Russian they did um, then they signed Hervides, you know, a 30-year-old centre-back. That's not exactly an old player either. And uh-huh. um, he also spoke about Krichowiak. And he, then he said very much, you know, it was very important for me and the president to strengthen the side with the Champions League in mind. Um, it's very interesting that in the interview, though, there was almost no mentioning of the coach uh, in some ways. It was all yeah. about... Management and the the president and the 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 team that they were able to put together, which, exactly, which exactly. Re- really kind of shows an interesting dynamic. And I mean, when you look at what Stoffelshaus did in terms of bringing in the players, I I was I was I was really surprised um, that they were able to sign Smolov, Krichowiak, and Hövedes all in one transfer window. That this yeah, side that's... is side is better than last year's. 
Absolutely, but the results are not. And, yeah, uh, you exactly, absolutely, uh, your observation is absolutely right because this is how they uh, they they talk. Is it's management, and this is the management who signed the club because Zelia Gerkus, who is the president of Lokomotiv, hired Stoffelhaus, so they work together as a team, and they call themselves management, and they, you know, celebrate those big signings, which is you know fair enough. Uh, but yeah, they kind of talk it separately from from the coaching stuff. Yeah. Um, and they've been asked that and they said, yeah, we got approval from the coach. But it wasn't like, yeah, we all together worked and they made decision to go for those players. It's just like, yeah, we got the approval from the coach. Um, so there's done, you know, like th- that conflict has been going on for a couple of years right now between Yuri Sermin and Elia Gerkus. And um, really, to, to me, the situation is that the, the management is just waiting for the opportunity and for the reason to, to get rid of uh, Yuri Sermin. And um, uh, it looks like based on the results, this opportunity might be might come very soon. Yeah, I think so too. Andrew, maybe your final thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you say about them waiting for an excuse. I mean, in a way, um, I, I even draw light parallels between this and and the sort of slightly tense relationship between Jose Mourinho and the... Um, uh, Ed Woodward at Manchester United, uh, my club. Um, there's clearly not a a swimming relationship there, and with uh, with Yuri Simon and Gerkos, and the fact that they've been so public, like you say, Tim, I think it's a very interesting point you make about the management being, you know, this is the signings that we've made, um, focusing on their ability to bring in players, which is very good, but it shows who's in charge, or at least who thinks they're in charge, um, and. Yeah, I don't expect Jury Simon, I'll be honest, at this rate, I don't expect him to finish the season. I expect possibly over the winter break we might see a change in the hot seat there, um, which is a shame because of what he did for the club um, over well, such a long period, but especially the last one. But in the end, change has got to be made. Yeah, I think that, that sums it up really well. Well, we'll keep an eye on the situation. Um, coaching changes can happen really fast. As I learned last night, I thought I was uh, safe. I left Vancouver thinking I was safe, not having to write about Robinson being fired anytime soon and um, ended up writing the article for Pro Soccer USA <laughs> in the S-Bahn. So <laughs> changes can happen sometimes really quick. So we'll definitely keep an eye on it, um, on this situation. But guys, I want to talk about the clubs that are right behind Sinead and um, both of them are surprises and we want to talk about the surprises and the, 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 the things that are happening in the Russian Premier League uh, as a whole because Andrew already mentioned it, we're eight games in um, and when I, when I look at the Bundesliga I always say you have to wait until about match day 10 but of course they have 34 match days, not 30 so I think about eight games in in Russia you get sort of a sense of where the, how teams could finish in the table Right. Of course, there will be some some differences between some of the other, um, some of the other other clubs like Loco. I could see after a coaching change to still shoot up. Um, so of course it's not set in stone, but it's it's interesting. Um, Krasnodar first. Um, wanna chat about Rostov as well? Uh, don't worry, we'll get to them. But Krasnodar first. They lost their biggest striker, Andrew, in Fedor Smolov. I know you can talk about Fedor Smolov all day long, <laughs> so please keep this brief. Um, Especially yet, about his domain period of Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny she mentioned him, but you're absolutely right. Chimen was central to, to reigniting his career. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about Shapi Sh- <laughs> Solimanov instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what, i tell you what, actually, this is a measure of how much I think Shapi um, Solimanov is a great player. I'm happy to talk about him instead of smaller forwards. Um, you know, these, look, this is a genuinely, in, for any neutral, this is a genuinely thrilling thing that is happening in Russian football, which is probably not really happened quite in this way to this mm. in this scale, um, really ever. I would argue that a club, you know, the whole academy system that we've talked about a, a load of times before that they've set up down in Krasnodar. It genuinely is a world class facility. Um, the Spain national team were based there during the World Cup, and this is very, very specifically this. Year of graduates. We've got Ivan Ignatiev, we've got Daniel Utkin is um, scoring goals for fun in the second tier. He'll come through soon. Sh- um, uh, Magomed Shapi, Suleimanov. These players are now 
genuinely, you would say they are first team players now. They're not youth team players being given a chance. Um, and Smolov's departure, that was the big question in my mind. Will they still be bold enough to stick to the principles that they, well, effectively were founded upon, you know, nine, ten years ago? And at the moment, it looks like they are, and it's paying dividends. You know, a really interesting statistic I came up with this week, which um, I think tells you a lot about Krasnodar. They've scored, I think it's now certainly four goals in the last five minutes of games already this season. Um, and and Chappy has scored three of them. Um, so yes, he comes off the bench, he's fresher, but he's got the presence of mind, the composure, the maturity. Um, and he really seriously could be uh, him and Ignatiev are the two obvious ones, but there are more coming through. This The next five years is going to be fascinating to see if Krasadar can not just bring through the young players, but compete at the same time. And at the moment, they're doing so. Um, it's, it's, it's an exciting time to watch them. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, Shapi uh, Suleimanov, keep an eye on him. Um, Krasnodar, yeah, have, have been as, have been, uh, not for me. I tipped them as a championship, uh, contender. That was, of course, before they sold Solomon, uh, But yeah, definitely, uh, a big surprise. They are second in the standing. Third in the standing. And Tim, I know you're ready to talk about them. Rostov, um, definitely another side to watch, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very happy to see Valery Karpin, who is the coach of the team, doing very, very well. Uh, Rostov is playing a very, not, uh, you know, the most beautiful game, but they're playing a very organized football, which gets them uh, the results. It's, uh, we get, first of all, not first of all, it also helps them that the they play it, the games at the beautiful World Cup arena, where, they, you know, the attendance is, is, is there. And uh, it's really, really nice to see how Valery Karpin, who had um, you know challenges in his career uh, he finally got to to a team where he has looks like the lots of support from the management he got some players he wanted and the team is playing playing very well so it's i'm very very happy for that but the, they play in this uh, the system of uh, the three central defenders and the key players on um, very important players in this position are there um, kind of the the defenders on the sides, Sergei Pashevlyuk and uh, Dmitry Skopintsov. Uh, Skopintsov already was um, called for, for the national team. Uh, so um, we, you, we can see the progress of young players, uh, you know, and experienced players are doing well. Uh, Ionov is also in just in beautiful form. He already scored four goals in this eight games. Um, so I'm very, very happy to see Valery Karpin uh, doing well. And to be quite honest, I don't see them stopping. I'm not obviously seeing them, you know, going to Champions League, but I'm seeing them being around those European places and maybe fighting for Europa League because of the football they play. They play very organized and, like I said, not beautiful football, but uh, they will be very hard to break. And, you know, it's not like they uh, getting results um, just by luck. They're working hard. And I don't see really them... Um, you know, losing this because, uh, because really it's not like they have a beautiful game which is built on some, on one player. It's a collective team game and, um, they're just doing, doing very well. So I'm, I'm very happy for Rostov. And to be quite honest, the next game which Spartak is playing is against Rostov. It's, it's at home and I'm very worried for this match. Yeah. Um, you brought up a couple of things and I want to, I want to talk about that Sparta Krostov game because that will probably be our uh, match of the week. You know, in football grad, I've gotten back to the tradition of previewing one or two Russian Premier League games a week. Um, that's probably the one I'm going to do for this weekend. Um, simply because of the reasons that you mentioned, but I, I want to draw two parallels here, Tim. One to the locomotive side that won the title last year, and then of course the to the Rostov side that came um, second. Is it already two years ago? Remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, both both those teams, both the Rostov side two years ago and the locomotive side last year, got to the very top of the Russian table. In locomotive's case, of course, they won the title just by being really efficient with their results, and that seems to be almost the the biggest key to being a winner in Russian in Russian football is to you know be really team management, game management more than anything else. Winning you games one nil, two one because a lot of the results in Russian football are that, those kind of results. It's very a very tight league, 
can you see Rostov being that team this year? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I'm not saying if they, uh, like I said, it's hard to say because um, we need to take a look at the other teams uh, like, you know, Zizinit, Spartak, Ciska, Krasnodar. Uh, how they will do, but like I said, Rostov, I see them doing well because of that efficiency. Uh, they 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 grind out the results because they work hard, and I think your parallels to that uh, side, uh, Kurban Birtev side, and to Lokomotiv side, this is very similar. They they play with three central defenders, which is similar to that uh, Rostov side. Um, they have um, you know quick. Uh, pacey uh, strikers who are very, very good for contra-attack and, you know, having, um, for example, um, uh, Ionov, who is very, very uh, speedy striker, like Skopinsev and Pashavlyuka also. Um, they play, they will play this contra-attack football and they have the right um, stuff, the right the right players uh, for for this game. And I, I agree with you, the, the parallels are very, very... Uh, very very close uh, to to that old Rostov side and to Lokomotiv, and looks like this is the way to win. If you remember Spartak's uh, um, champions uh, season, also I think we we won. Not I don't remember exactly how many we won too many games with uh, one nothing or within like one goal. It was so many games, and it looks like that 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 was the you know that's the result to go. You have to be very efficient. Yeah, it's actually. It's it's one of the I think that's I think Russian football in a lot of ways is very Italian, not just because yeah. of the, the 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 coaching but the tactical aspects a lot. I think that's something that I always point out when I when one of the things I really enjoy about Russian football is they're probably one of the most tactical innovative leagues in Europe, um, and I, I don't say this lightly. But you know they played three five two. They brought back this three man defense before anyone else did in Europe even before the Italians. And I think it was Rostov that set the tone for that. Remember when they won, when they came uh, second, uh, it's yeah. actually already three years ago. I had to do the math in my head, but it's remarkable how time flies. They they were one of the first sides to do really change, change the way we play football in Europe today. Um, it, it's kind of interesting how that is. Yeah, and it's uh, Kurban Birdiv who is yeah. considered like one of the... If not the best current uh, Russian coach, that's why it's so it's surprising to me why Rubin is not doing that well this season because he, you know, he has the the players and he has everything to to do that. But regardless of uh, Rubin's situation, we can see that you know that um, that kind of defensive and um, not the most beautiful football uh, brings the results in Russian league. Yeah, so I guess we have them down as our biggest surprise. Uh, Andrew, what are your biggest disappointments? Tim kind of mentioned one already. Ruben, is that in your category as well? Well, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, it's, it sounds odd saying that, given that they're, they're only two points off Europa yeah. League places. They're in a good position in the table. But I'm not entirely sure how they've managed to do it. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think... Um, Good I actually, well, I mean, Bidea, like, like Tim, Tim mentioned, he's... he's um, well, like you both mentioned, he pioneered a very efficient use of his players that he has. So, you know, you see so many managers come in and say, this is the style we're going to play. I need the players to fit it. He does the opposite. He says, yeah. These are, got, that's how I'm going to play. And I personally, I think that's by far the most intelligent way to, to set up. So I do think Rubin will um, be very close to Europa League places. They need to improve their results. They need to close out the games that they're, they're drawing. But... Um, disappointments for me, uh, well, I mean, locomotive is an obvious one. Yeah. Uh, but I guess oh, it's just quite hard to pick one because most teams, I'd say, are roughly where I expect them to be. But I'll, uh, I, I'm disappointed in them because um, they're my team and they've they've got the leakiest defence in the league. They've over two goals a game is not is not great for a side that last season uh, at home were the last team to actually lose at home. Um, and I think with the new Central League Stadium, the World Cup Stadium, by saying the re, you know, newly redeveloped stadium, I should say, it doesn't bizarrely seem to have the same sort of intense atmosphere as the SKB Bank Arena, which was a tiny ramshackle training ground that we played at three years. So I guess I'd have to say Oral, but um, I, I'll give you one simple reason why that is because I've not been to any of their games. And this Saturday, I will be going to my first Oral game at home to Arsenal Tula. 
So a win there will put us above them, and I will help kickstart for our season. So don't worry. So that's already your match of the week pick for next week. Well, it's not my pick. That's the obvious pick of the week. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, don't all be smart <laughs> Rostov. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> Um. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad we got that sorted then Andrew because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Tim will pick Spartak against Rostov um, don't worry Tim I'll still preview Spartak against Rostov um. it's a Spart you see you talk about the, all of these newspapers in Russia are filled with Spartak fans even football grads being infiltrated by Spartak oh, Andrew then write a preview for Ural against uh, Arsenal Tula I'll host it okay <laughs> you're wrong write a preview done. for that Okay, I'll I'll expect that in the mailbox tomorrow. <laughs> Now no, you're definitely on. You heard it here first. For the, the preview for Ural against Arsenal Tula will be available on footballgrad.com tomorrow. Um, <laughs> what they want, that's what I see. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, it's it's happening. I, I I'm designing the 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 image and everything for it, so um, I I can't wait. It will be in a beautiful orange, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I was going to stay with you because you have a little bit of a trip planned. Um, you're seeing CSKA Moscow at the Lushniki against Real. Mm -hmm. um, can't wait to see that preview. That's going to be fantastic. Um, you're seeing Loco against Schalke. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Hövedes Derby. Uh, the Hövedes Stoffelhaus Derby, indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Tim, your side Spartak Moscow is playing Villarreal. Um hmm. I'll get to you in a moment. St. Petersburg, you're heading to St. Petersburg after that, right, Andrew? To see them play Slavia. Now, let's, let's chat, chat about the, the Moscow games first. Um, CSGA against Real Madrid. Andrew, really briefly, one minute, what do you expect? I expect it will be a harder game for Real than they are anticipating. Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's not going to surprise anybody to say that um, Real are favourites. Real will win. They, they, they will find a way to win if it's a difficult game or they will just blow them out of the water. But I don't think they will run away with it. That's, that's the thing. There's a strange kind of unity that's come about from a team that's been patched together from youth team products and new signings that I don't think any of us quite anticipated. And that's going to make it an entertaining game. Being in Belushnik as well, well yeah. the, the place is just magnificent. That will add to the sense of occasion. It will be... I don't think I don't know whether it will be quite sold out, but it will certainly be very nearly. Um, and that atmosphere is going to make, add to the entertainment value. So I, I will be. I'll write the full preview as you mentioned. It will go up on footballgrad.com. But um, sneak preview, yes, I do think Real will win, but I don't think it's going to be by much more than a goal. Yeah. And what do you think of Loco against Schalke? This is a really odd one to call because you've got two teams in absolutely dreadful yeah. form. Um, you know, Schalke have lost five games out of five in the Bundesliga, is it, Manny? Yeah, it is. I mean, they were they were dreadful last night. Um, I saw the highlands highlights after the Bayern game. Um, they have yeah. them. They have them on Sky um, inside the stadium at the press conference. Um, and then I watched the, re the reactions and I read the reactions by Domenico Tedesco. Um, yeah, Schalke are in an odd place, but um, this is something that I've already tried to point out. There is always a domestic Schalke and a European Schalke. Um, remember when they reached the semi-final against United? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, almost got rele they almost got relegated that year. It's, 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 it's absolutely madness, you know. Yeah. It's mad madness. So, um, I think that, I, I personally think Schalke will win that game. So, so yeah, simply because that's typical for them. Well, yeah, I, I would I would go along with that. Um, I mean, obviously, Manny, you, you follow the Bundesliga infinitely more closely than I do, but I follow enough to get an idea of, I mean, I know the, the players in their squad and mm. how... Last season they were they finished was it third in the Bundesliga second. Was it last second yeah well oh, there you go if you finish second in the Bundesliga then that is a sign that you've, you're a decent side Loco has so many troubles stringing together coherent performances and like we mentioned the problems off pitch are adding to that um, losing I actually thought away to Galatasaray they were quite good for about twenty thirty minutes um, just before half time but they they just didn't have Well, they didn't have the quality or the, the, the fitness to, to see out the game in Galatasaray won comfortably. So I think um, I think realistically this is it's a, oh, it's a make or break really for Loco mm -hmm. and I, I think break is more likely. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Schalke will win and 
probably in the end not have too much trouble with it. Tim, to you next. Third game in Moscow. Three European games in a row in Moscow. That's I don't think we see that very often in any city in Europe. What do you what's your expectations against Villarreal? Oof, uh, hard to say, my friend, because uh, it's yeah, the things uh, what's happening in Spartak is really hard to predict uh, what's happening because really the team is not playing very well mm -hmm. and plus all the stories around it. Um, I even have a tough time predicting uh, um, some kind of confident result in today's game against Chernomorets who are playing yeah. in the uh, third tier. Uh, but uh, against Villarreal I think we'll get the point. I'm not sure if we'll win because the Villarreal is also having some issues uh, this season. So, But it's, it's for me, I don't ever know. I'll, I'll, I'll say it's a tie, hopefully. But to be quite honest, we, win, we need the win uh, for that Europa League game. Mm. And then, uh, Andrew, will briefly, your expectations for Zenit against Slavia? They have to win that one, no? Oh, surely, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, I don't want to sound like it's overconfident, but it, it's, if you cannot be confident to beat Slavia Prague, who aren't even the, the best side of their city, yet alone country. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Zanit are, they, I think they've learned their lesson from the, um, the dangers of supposedly lesser teams in the Dynamo Minsk, um, away league in the qualifiers. Um, yes, they still made hard work against Molder, but they, that was from a commanding position. It wasn't like mm. they were scrapping to get the, you know, get back into the game. They let it slip a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, um, the social media team there, the, the way they get fans into the ground, the atmosphere, the, the positivity around the club, 5-3 against Locomotive. I mean, that gets the, that gets the pace, the pulse racing. Um, and on the pitch, they've got more players available than they did before. So the reason is longer. Um, so I really think this, this should be comfortable. Um, again, and I know it sounds a little negative. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to blow Slavia away because they don't need to. Um, I think a, around something like a 2-0 win would be comfortable. I think that's probably what will happen. Yeah. And we'll get all these games. They will be all previewed on footballgrad.com. We have more previews on footballstart.com. We'll get Andrew, you committed now the preview for Ural. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what else? We'll have, we have to wrap it up here, boys. But what else is going on other than the, the previews, Andrew? Uh, well, yeah, the main thing for me is the, the trip next week. Um, I love the trips to Moscow, St. Petersburg. The previews going up for that. I'll do some live video work before and after mm. the games there. So that's really my main focus. Um, and, um, yeah, and also, uh, just on a side note, um, Fushbolstad, um, I hope to encourage more um, collaboration between my workplace at the moment, yeah. Ronnie Donkin. Yeah, we've got some tactical analysis pieces going up for the Red Bull clubs, um, sorry, Rass and Bull Sports clubs, um, and, um, yeah. and Portland. So more tactical analysis on German clubs there. Keep your eyes peeled. Should be some good stuff coming. Yeah, that's all from Ronnie Doc Media. So I'm really excited about this cooperation, Andrew. I think we're going to do some great things together with that. So yeah, um, that's on foosballstadt.com. Tim, how about you? What's going on um, over in Vancouver? Any music concerts, etc., that you want to plug? Um, yeah, we played the show last uh, last weekend. There's a few coming up, so yeah, they can uh, the listeners can follow me on Russian Tim sixty one and uh, Rocket from Russia on Instagram. Yeah, fantastic stuff, and please do, um, if you're in, in Vancouver or Canada, uh, we have a few Canadian listeners, um, head, check out Russian Tim 61, uh, for, for some really fantastic punk music. Um, yeah, um, on my side, I'm going to the S-Bahn Derby now, the 1860 Unterhaching Derby, so there will be some coverage from that. There will be three talking points for, on the Dortmund game, as always. Um, lots of, I'm, I'm in Frankfurt and uh, Nuremberg this weekend, so they will be, this will be covered. Lots of Bundesliga coverage over on the gegenpressing um, side, fußballstadt.com. Russian football will get the, the previews will be up. Um, as always, the big matches that we preview from the Russian Premier League, they will be coming up. Um, all of that can be found at Football Grad Live, and you can find all my rumblings and travelings, etc. at Manuel Wef. Well, boys, that does it. Until next week, das Vidania. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.